This is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, back after a brief hiatus and joined by the full compliment this week. First, he is the aeronautical albatross. It's Mark Robinson. How are you, my friend? This is uh, by far my longest break ever from uh, Link to the Cast. I was gone for, I believe, four weeks, uh, in which time I... Managed to spend two weeks of that, travelling around Romania, having a wonderful time. Um, Motherfucker, didn't you go to China at some point for like six months? Yeah, that was probably your longest break for the podcast, I mean, I wouldn't really consider that a break, I'd consider that more, I was not a part of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, went around Romania for two weeks, beautiful country, uh, wonderful food. Um, It's obviously a lot easier to go around a country like that with someone who speaks Romanian. Um, but just, yeah, just, just an incredible country. Um, we climbed the mountain, um, uh, just, just overall, just a really, really wonderful experience. And I was very glad I got to go and, uh, we'll probably try and go back at least once a year or so. Uh, and then went back to the motherland last weekend, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and in during that process as well, um, you know, well, I'm sure we'll talk about the, the horrors that we're trying to get back. Can't say mine was that bad. A 55 minute flight delay is not the worst I've ever encountered. Uh, but I'm all good. I'm exhausted. I'm looking forward to doing nothing this weekend. You, you, you were, um, you have been the, the identified source of the travel difficulties, however, for saying the words Dallas curse out loud in <laughs> Dublin airport when no, we met on Friday. No, I believe the issue is that I was the one that tweeted, hey, I've had no issues this weekend. Yeah. Everything's good. Yeah. Everything. Literally, I think within an hour, Re- uh, the entire air f- space of the United Kingdom went, nah, we're good for a while regardless of which line it was we can certainly all agree it's your fault um, um, I, I think I, I that, that can bring that. us all together as a nation I, I will take that um, but I will say to you gentlemen never fly to Heathrow this is this is. I'm not taking responsibility for that never fly to Heathrow it takes the, the trickle down effect of problems occurring when you go to Heathrow it, it's just like a little breath of wind and then the entire airport is, is just fucked for like the next three days better stand stood or Luton. No, actually, no, never go to Luton. Never go to Luton. Joining that that goes all- for not just the airport, by the way, in general. That's yes, great advice. <laughs> Absolute tip. J- uh, joining us as well, the man who has uh, submitted a handwritten request that he be referred to on this podcast as Longrod von Huge Dong. It's Jack Lazell. Uh, you, I believe I believe it's Longrod, uh, actually. Yes, uh, I'm doing well, thank you, mate. Um, luckily, I already live in the country that you guys had to try and get out of last week, so I, I'm doing just fine. I mean, I you say home. lucky. Well, I like it here. So, some some things are nice here. Got Chelsea, my friends, parents. <laughs> Chelsea, you know, it's great Mainly here. Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, Chelsea, uh, and Chelsea aren't doing the business either. No, it's the order I put it in as well. I said Chelsea yeah. first. I'm really sorry for any of my family and friends listening to this, including the three that I'm on this call with. Uh, don't, yeah. don't worry, with the horrendous stuff you said on this podcast, you'd know by now if your family were listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, they'd also start referring to me as Longrod uh, or Mr. Von Huge Dong, depending on, you know, formalities of process. Um, we had a mighty good time, Jack, this weekend. You spent a good bit of it with me as you were sitting with me at the wrestling show. Um, yeah. But we went ham on some quality food as well. Yeah, had some great um, foods. Shack yep. for You was very, very nice. 
um, like a sort of Asian kind of fusion-y place uh, in Soho. Very much enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, I also went to one of our favourite haunts, Bodine's, during my my period of being stuck in the UK. <laughs> I consoled myself with barbecued meats. I was pretty good. I didn't, because you and I have always gone for like the, the sharing platters in there. I've never actually gotten an order just for one person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, see, look, we do have some good stuff. There's good food here. I mean, it's all food that we've stolen from other cultures, but I mean, it's tasty nonetheless, right? What do we have? Yorkshire puddings? Is that ours? Can we claim that one? Yeah, I've got Yorkshire puddings. That's uh, what I said. <laughs> Jack's on multiple occasions. He goes, I'm sorry, my country has nothing going for it. And I just kept saying, you got Yorkshire puddings. <laughs> and that's that pretty true. great. Yeah. Did we come You're up a really with stuffing? Big one. Did, did we come up with stuffing in England? Is that, our, is that ours, do you think? I, I feel like I mean, it is. It's just seasoning and nuts thrown together Mark, with a bit of olive oil. If you're about to cut a promo on stuffing, I'm going to come no, no, over no, there no, and I'm going to nut you squarely in the balls. I make an exceptional homemade stuffing, right? Let's get this clear. But I don't know. I, I doubt we can claim that as our own. I'm claiming it. I'm claiming stuffing. I'm taking it back. How outstanding it is that you missed like breadcrumbs as part of your list of ingredients. <laughs> It's yeah. just you're just stuffing shit with nuts, Mark. That's not. This is a family show. We don't want to hear about that. <laughs> just nuts and onions. <laughs> Get your nuts and onions out for the lads, Mark. Rounding us off, of course, a man whose ultimate moment of vindication for his life's work came as eighty thousand people chanted TNA last weekend. It's Garrett Kidney. Garrett, how are you, buddy? That was the highlight of the show for me. Peaked with the TNA chant. Probably the largest TNA chant of all time. Easily. Statistically question. But like, honestly, if it had been a WWE chant, it would probably be the largest WWE chant of all time. Uh, what a moment. All those people. And they sadly didn't add chad.com to the end, which is a little disappointing. But Well, you could just go back in the edit and handle that, I'm sure. Um just can you get like Liam to record just chad.com and see if you can, you know, layer it over so it sounds like 80,000 Liams? <laughs> Hack into like the, the AEW system and replace the file. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, by the way, Jack, uh, stuffing is Roman. So get fucked. It's Roman. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> wow. Well, no, well, like you, you had this. done for us. Eh? You had stuffed vine leaves, but I don't, I don't believe it's like, uh, like the, the concept of stuffing stuff. I don't think is. I love Jack disagreeing with the tone of a man who was there at the time. Yeah, Listen, the, here, the earliest yeah. documented evidence is Roman cookbook Apicus Dura Cochrandra, which oh, contains recipes for stuffed it. chicken, dormouse hair, and pig. So, now, I just want to point out we didn't steal that from the Romans. They invaded us, right? So, like, <laughs> we can claim it. Oh. Someone invaded us. How oh man, we feel, would never hey? do that shit. <laughs> right, uh, let's move on, and I'm going to go to. Um, Captain Up to Date Takes Kidney who mm. has seen Barbie I have seen Barbie I was stuck in London so one of the things we did on the morning after because we had a, a, an afternoon flight on Tuesday or whenever that was I don't know time so we went to see a movie that morning and one of the few options was Barbie even though my brother had already seen it it was originally going to be Gran Turismo but there was two cinemas that were strikingly close to each other and we accidentally went to the wrong one so Barbie it was uh, Barbie's a good movie <laughs> you accidentally saw the better movie <laughs> yeah accidentally tripping because he had seen Barbie and I, I hadn't but we neither of us had seen Gran Turismo so we're like alright we'll see Gran Turismo as a, a nice little middle ground between the two of us except when I put it in the Google Maps I picked the wrong cinema and led us to the wrong cinema and went to see Barbie instead. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, Barbie rocks. That movie's great. 
yeah. It's real like it's really good. They uh they proper nails such a weird, enjoyable tone with it. Um and like everybody's still I think I hear every time I turn the speakers on in work, people are putting on like the soundtrack to that movie as well, where like not just the obviously I'm just Ken is an incredible, <laughs> incredible song. Um, but like all the other the original tracks off that they nailed it and like Is is the, Lizzo cancelled? Like what's the status update on Lizzo at this I point? I've seen the latest on the Lizzo situation. Um but I know that, like, I've heard that Dua Lipa song, like, every couple of hours for a month. And I'm not I'm not bored of it. I mean, that and every other Dua Lipa single as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but you see, up, Can't until get off now, the radio. up until now, I've probably heard a bunch of them and not known that's who that is. Uh, I I'm feel like she has a fairly distinctive voice. Yes, but I would, you know, like, I, if you know what her voice is, but I just, sure. just not tapped into that kind of stuff. All right, okay. She's, but, um, uh, she's not interesting, really, is she, Dua Lipa? She's an incredible singer, but... I guess the people that write for her write very safe songs. She's not quite on that level where for a long time I was of the camp. Uh, I'm not the only one to have this thought that Rita Ora was a psyop. <laughs> that no one actually had ever heard a song she she made. Um, I actually like Rita Ora's earlier pop songs than I do any of the I Dua Lipa Rita stuff. Ora's early work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, the thing a, you're going to say out loud. Yeah, I saw, I saw her at the boardwalk in Sheffield, you know, back yeah, in the day. Loved her in Detective <laughs> Pikachu. Well, when she was cutting her teeth, yeah. But, but genuinely, yes, I, I do like Rita Ora's early work. Anyway. So yes, Gareth, Barbie. Yeah, my thing is always like joke density. And there is a joke in pretty much every line in this movie. Like that screenplay is insane. They have just every single chance they can take to make a joke, they make a joke. It is probably the most self-conscious movie of all time in both a good way and probably a little bit a bad way where they are like preemptively trying to get out of every part of uh, get out in front of every possible criticism anybody could possibly have of this movie ahead of time. And they're like, no, we get all of it. That's and that's part of what makes it, I think, a ton of fun. Uh, But also you can literally see them in their head about every line and every development and everything they're doing but that's also kind of like part of the movie that the, the, that that the movie has to be like that is part of the double standard that the movie points out rather explicitly um but i yeah really enjoyable i love the way it looks like the the kind of toy box feel of it and, and it makes it like use cgi in a way that makes it look like childish but in a good way it because it's meant to look like toys you know they're meant to live in a toy box world and all of it looks a little bit jank but i think it's supposed to look, look a little bit jank where it uses like that low res aesthetic in a good way as opposed to a way that looks like bad like most marvel movies um that's a needless side swipe there but nonetheless deserved <laughs> but yeah barbie i've nothing original to say about it other than that yes it is a tremendous movie great last line of a film great, mm. great first gags as well with the uh, the beaching off starting so yeah. early to go oh this is not the film i thought it was yeah and the last again the last line goes back to joke density it's like we could end on a really meaningful part or we can end on a joke and they ended on a joke because it's great yeah. And now we've all seen it to, to go back to saying that me and Jack were talking about in the first week, but the Rob Brydon cameo for some reason just completely ended me. <laughs> it's just like, what is he doing there? <laughs> I don't know, but he's it's only great. In it for like 30 seconds, but he's there. It felt like he just wandered onto set through that gap in the wall that he appeared from. Also, also, uh, I, I don't think we any of us mentioned at any point, but like Michael Cera is just oh, perfectly cast, as he is in most things, of just being Michael Cera. 
I, I need that, that spin-off film. I, I was say that much. I was I was talking to Jack while I was over about it may not be the type of show for any of you guys on here, but I I beseech you to look at the one scene he was in the Twin Peaks Return series for. I where, saw a clip of that. He he I there's where a, you he's know doing like Marilyn Brando. You know like the, the GQ fucking. GQ videos where they have actors yeah. and actresses and they go through like yeah, their yeah. career. I, Michael Cera was on that and and I saw that bit. I didn't know what was going on. It's That's a whole monologue where David Lynch just told him, do young Marilyn Brando. And he, he fucking do a fault he does it. It's fabulous. Oh, it's uh, so good. Uh, what else have you been watching, Garrett? The other thing is something Jack talked about a little while ago, which is Shrinking, which is an Apple TV show starring Jason Segel, Jessica Williams, uh, Michael Urey, and probably most notably Harrison Ford. Um, it's not a Bill Lawrence show. Well, it, it is created by, but he only pops his head in every now and again, even if it does have strong Bill Lawrence vibes, down to having Krista Miller play the exact same character she plays in every Bill Lawrence show. Oh, but uh, how great is she, though? That. I, I think she's extra, extra great in, in Shrinking, but you're about to tell me that you hate Shrinking, so I'm just, I'm bracing for it, Garrett. I don't hate Shrinking. It's a good oh, show. Good. It's really enjoyable. There's, like, I have small quibbles with, like, the writing. Like, every episode ends on, like, a little cliffhanger where somebody hears or sees something they shouldn't, and then that's the, it's like, oh, God damn it, guys, come up with a different way to create tension in your show. But for the most part, it is a really light, fluffy, enjoyable show, even though it deals with, like, surprisingly dark themes. But it does so in a, a, a way that's not a bummer and Harrison Ford is great because he just mumbles and groans and moans at everybody like his deadpan angry delivery at everybody in the show absolutely tremendous and even just the idea like Harrison Ford doing a 10 episode TV comedy is is just kind of crazy it's like what are you yeah. doing here why are you here you're great but what are you doing here you're Harrison Ford well I mean the story about that of like at every stage when they were negotiating with his agent to when they met with him to when he sat there and he said, oh, I really like the script. All of them were just like, what? (laughs) Why? You're Harrison Ford. What are you doing? Um, Don't you think as well, like as the show goes on, because at first it's kind of like a gimmick and you're like, oh, Harrison Ford's there. But by the end of it, he really grows into his character, doesn't he? And he's just, he, he almost feels like he's vamping and just having fun with it. The only relaxed Harrison Ford funny sort of performance I've ever seen anything like this is whenever he goes on Conan's show or Conan's podcast he's in that sort of form in the show Dave which is why I would drop a a high recommend of this but yeah Speaking of um, people who are like ridiculously relaxed on Conan programs not to completely derail but have you listened to the Liam Neeson episode? Yes. It's very good. It's great yeah it's that guy just manages to get a good performance out of everyone but I, I don't know Garrett, I just love all the characters on the show. It, it has that Bill Lawrence feel to me of just feeling like a warm hug every episode I watch. Yeah, it's a, it's a really easy, enjoyable wind down watch because I watch it mostly at just the end of my days, watch an episode or two. And it's like, ah, it's that kind of show that's just like, I feel good now going to bed instead of bad. So thumbs up to Shrinking for making me feel good instead of bad. Great theme <laughs> song as well. Yes, yeah, the theme song is brilliant. And yeah. shout out to having a theme song, which again is one of my biggest pet peeves in the world. The theme song, along with most of the music that Bill Lawrence weaves into his TV shows, I think is influenced by his wife, who is very into that sort of like, you know, sort of jangly indie rock sound. Uh, so yeah, shout out Krista Miller. She fucking roars. Yeah. 
She does play the same character and everything, but she's very good. Because I've watched a season of Cougar Town now, and she's the same person in that show. Oh, but Garrett, we were going to do the podcast. I was actually going to do a bit at one stage where I'd come on the show and say, I've watched every, every episode of Cougar Town without telling anybody. <laughs> and then you would have to rewatch it when we did the podcast. But in the end, I only watched a season of Cougar Town and got bored and went off somewhere else. So I, no I, one's I, talked about it. Yeah, I couldn't commit to my bit of just coming on one week and being like, I had watched every episode of Cougar Town, all 104 <laughs> of them. I mean, you must have hated it because you actually hate watched every episode of Succession. So <laughs> you must have really hated that you couldn't even carry it out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Cougar Town is fine. There you yeah, go. That's my full it, review of Cougar Town. I I watched like the first six or seven episodes back in the day because I was a huge Bill Lawrence slash Courtney Cox guy. Obviously, Scrubs and Friends were my favorite sitcoms when I was like you know seventeen, eighteen. And I just could not carry on watching it for exactly the same reason. So yeah, dropping the bit, Cougar Town is kind of lame. Subscribe now. <laughs> um, Maybe that's what we should call the podcast. Cougar Town is kind of lame. <laughs> it's certainly a new angle to take on a rewatch podcast. This sucks. Has anyone got? <laughs> yeah, has, has anyone got a hate rewatch podcast? Although not even this yeah, sucks. Just I do. Like, I was going to say most wrestling <laughs> podcasts. At least two people on this app. Dave, you have another podcast. What's going yeah, on? All no, right, yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, Mark, you haven't watched anything. Uh, I mean, I have, but like, I didn't want to spend too long. Um, I we watched uh, a film called The Mist from, I believe, two thousand and seven. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Does that have Tom Welling my, in it? Uh, it's maybe. Thomas Jane, isn't it? Oh, is it Thomas I, Jane? The the only the only person knowing that film you need to know is that Captain Raymond Holt is in it, Ooh. and uh, which makes it very difficult to take seriously as a horror film when you know yeah, it's it's like half the cast of The Walking Dead season one and two are in it. I will take your word on it because yeah, I like Laurie Holden's Dead. in it. The the old dude is in it. The um oh god, what's her name? Melissa McBride is in it. I mean, that um, would make sense because The Mist, very much like The Walking Dead, is that kind of like what if humans were the real monsters yeah. sort of thing. A unique uh, can, approach. No one's ever I, yeah. thought about can that I, before. Can I blow your mind as you're set to um slate this movie? Oh, no, 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 I wasn't slate. I thought it was perfectly oh. fine. Oh, okay. Just to know, Tom Welling was in The Fog. Very different uh, movie. Ah. Uh, it was directed by the man who directed uh, Shawshank Redemption. What? Wow. Yeah, All Frank right. Darabont. Wow. Um, that, it's, what else being, did that guy direct? Like, is he just genuinely a one-trick pony? Mile. Oh, I mean, that was great, too. And okay, so the, maybe- the pilot of The Walking Dead. Really? Hence the cast, I guess. God, what a weird down. career path. Yeah. To go from, like, Shawshank and Green Mile. Again, maybe he only makes good stuff when he makes it about prisons. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's how it works. So, Mark, you watched The Mist. Yeah, I mean, look, not being an expert on, on horror films or anything, this is, you know, my one horror film every five years that I, I watch. Why this? Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, I just so many good horror movies. No, no, I, I didn't choose to watch this. Maria was like, I'm watching this, and I was like, I guess we're watching this then. That's that's how we do this now. <laughs> Mark broke both his legs, um, was unable to move. The, yeah, yeah. No, that's we'll Misery, misery next, yeah. Okay. Because um, oh, yeah. I'm trying to think, the last horror film I think I watched was A Quiet Place, which I thought was very good. Yeah, it's pretty um, good, uh, Though, actually, I watched that before I'd ever seen The Office, so uh, <laughs> my kind of concept of Jim was completely fucking, you know, in reverse. Yeah, um, now so Jim's like, real into the CIA, so uh, I think you got out at the right time. 
But no, it's it's a pretty good film. Again, like very kind of like tropey in terms of like are you know humans and monsters. Uh, but there's the uh, there's one character who's very much like a religious zealot slash almost kind of cultist type leader, um, and and her performance is is really really well uh, put together. Uh, the the thing about this film though, uh, like the the monster design is very. Um, uh, Lovecraftian, like it's it's pretty nightmarish. There's there's spiders and grasshoppers, but they're t- twenty feet tall and they're quite monstrous looking. But then, like all of that happens, and you know people die and 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 all that kind of stuff. But then at the end of this film, right? So you know, spoilers for a, a fifteen year old film or whatnot. Um, the the main guy, his son, uh, two elder folk, and a woman. They manage to get out, and they're driving. And they're in the mist, and they just keep driving until they run out of petrol. And they were hoping that they would, you know, clear past the mist, but they never do. And then they get to the point, they're like, well, now what the fuck do we do? They know if they leave the car, they're going to die. If they stay in the car, they're going to starve. What does the mist do to you? Um, it's just it has monsters in it. So, you know. You oh, right. Okay. So it doesn't yeah. like turn you inside out or something. No, 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 no. It's just literally like <laughs> the fog that turns you inside out. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> um, but so the guy has like four bullets and there's five of them. So what happens is like off screen, like looking outside to the car, you hear and you see the, the, the gunfire go off of four shots. And then he's you go back into the car and he's there and obviously he's losing his mind. He's trying to kind of kill himself, but there's no bullets left. He gets out of the car and this all takes, you know, the, the car stopping, running out of petrol and him killing the other four. This all takes place in the span of about three or four minutes. Does he kill four humans or four monsters? Four humans. Oh, right. Okay. And Why then, didn't he just have two of them stand back to back like in that Frasier episode? You know what? You know what? It's really good. It's good. I know. Well, look. In the heat of the moment, I guess. But he gets <laughs> sure, out of the- Shank Redemption, my ass, this geezer can't write for shit. He gets out of the car, and so he's obviously waiting for the monsters to come and, and kill him. But then what happens is that uh, a tank goes by, and then basically, you know, the US force, the armies, they're now starting to come by, and the mist is starting to clear, and they're starting to kill the monsters. And... So basically, he's just killed these people, including his son, and now he's been saved by, you know, the the, the army and whatnot. But, like, there's this suspension of disbelief that gets gets completely lost because you you see in, like, the kind of, like, two or three minute montage of when they leave, they're they're stuck in, like, a, a, a supermarket for several days. That's where the bulk of the film takes place. And over the course of, like, the three or four minute montage from them leaving the supermarket to go and where they are, um, where they get stuck... They're driving very, very slowly because the mist is very dense. So they're obviously, you know, trying to make sure they don't drive into anything. And it's like, how the hell did you manage to drive all this way and not realize you've got the entire fucking US Army about, you know, 100 meters, if that, behind you? Like, you know, using flamethrowers, fucking torching shit, just going hell for leather. And then the, just, the film ends like that, where he's like on his knees screaming because he's just murdered his son. And th- that's how they decided to end the film. Which Why did from- he murder his son? Because uh, he didn't want to see prick. He didn't want to see the monsters take him away. That's why. <laughs> yeah, but like, surely there's a chance they might like have got out of it. Well, like, in in the moment, the perception you're led to believe is that all hope is lost, and he would rather you know do a mercy killing on his son, I guess, than watch him be devoured by a giant spider. Um, and then that's just how the <laughs> is film it ends. Is is it just giant spiders, or is there like loads of different like creepy ass? Like, I mean, there's like a fucking some sort of like monstrous pterodactyl type creature at one cool. point they're, they're quite quite like 
if you think of sort of like the early Silent Hill games in terms of the monsters, like the the, the flying beast that comes through the Can't fucking move for the pterodactyls in Silent Hill. No, but you know, like the 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 wing beast that comes through the the cafeteria in like one yeah. of the early scenes in Silent Hill. That it looks a little bit like that. Um, and and yeah, it's just a, a. I've never seen a film end in such a way before, and I guess it's novel because the book apparently doesn't end like that. Uh, and the director went to Stephen King and went, yo, I'm going to fuck with this. And Stephen apparently was all right with it. Um, it's it's pretty bleak. Pretty bleak. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen I've never seen a movie end on the homicide of someone's own progeny before, I must admit. Yeah. That is, that is uh, I mean, like, is it just like gunshot and then credits? Like, is that? Uh, uh, well, no, because then you get the bit where, like, the mist starts to clear and then the army start coming through. Oh, so he and did fuck it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he fucked it. He totally fucked it. Oh. What? I mean, like, seriously. I think that's just how it ends. I would, but literally, I would, and I don't know about you guys, but I'd rather take the chance that we might survive than turn a gun on any one of you, especially turn the gun on my own child. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm hoping that that's not a situation I have to ever encounter, so. <laughs> because you chewed all of us dead. I don't know why I thought Dave was going to say because you're impotent, and I was going to be like, Dave, that's really harsh. Why would you say that? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Where? How? What? Whatever. I know. I don't know why Dave would say that. It just is outrageous. I don't know it? why you would think that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Well, you have killed Dave. <laughs> just so, so unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Who's next? I'm sorry. Jack, you're up next. Anyway, so I watched Ahsoka. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a hard right turn pivot. Um, oh, or like I tried to uh, I tried to encourage my dad to watch it because he's super into Star Wars shows and he literally cannot call this show Ahsoka he keeps saying Ahsoka and like that's how it's spelled that, that sounds like Dennis yeah but uh, he says it with that look in the eyes of a man who knows he recalls a VHS tape that he wants <laughs> exactly loves absolutely loves big soaking asses. <sighs> Jesus I know, I know, I know, guys. I'm sorry. We have, um, we have gone off the rails on this for one. like the last minute of this podcast. <laughs> what, what do you want to call the show this week? Robinson's fire and blanks or big soaking asses? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, two, <laughs> two DVDs. That I probably wouldn't rent. I'm sorry, Mark. Um, <laughs> anyway, Apology accepted. Star Wars. Anyway, um, yeah, good. No, I quite, I quite like this so far. Um, I look. I've always been a big fan of Rosario Dawson, so seeing her get into helm her own show is really, really cool. Because I feel like she's very often not like the main character in something. She'll be like a side character, or like you know the cool girlfriend, or like the cool love interest, or something. So seeing her in the spotlight helm in a show being a lead is is really cool so I, I just think she's absolutely fantastic um bunch of, of new people in this show that you know i wasn't really aware of uh, natasha lou bordiso who uh is sabine wren in this show she is fucking great and the relationship in in, in between uh her and rosario dawson as ahsoka is really really cool and like really enjoying it it was nice to see mary elizabeth winstead who I haven't seen in anything for ages except you wouldn't really know it was her upon first look because she's extremely green because star wars um Apparently so she's the- excellent in the season of fargo she's in 
yeah, I, I'm not surprised. Um, again, another another performer I've always rated and think think she's really good. So like the cast of the show is wicked. Um, I don't know if the show is quite. I'm enjoying it, but I don't know if it's quite supporting that cast at the moment with the story. Um, it's one of those things where I always feel in the last couple of Star Wars shows at the start, weirdly a little bit alienated by them because they kind of give you enough to get you into the story. But then, you know, it doesn't feel like they really front load these things with a lot of content. And then towards the back end of the seasons, they tend to get really good. Like the last season of The Mandalorian was just weird for for the most of it. And then the last two episodes were really cool and kind of filled with action and and awesome. And it's just another one of those things where it's like in the past this probably would have been a movie it feels like so far because we've had three episodes and you could probably condense the plot of the three episodes into i would say a good like first act of a movie like a half hour 45 minutes of a movie um so it does feel a little bit spun out but the characters are cool it's it's written quite well the only thing that feels off to me so far is is the pacing um and yeah i just i i really i know probably some people aren't massive on it but i really like the way that these star wars shows are shot the new ones i know they're using like a lot of kind of um environments in in the background that are like studio lit and stuff but they it looks so much better than say marvel who do exactly the same thing um and and i don't know if that's just because it's like a more of a john favreau type thing i like when john favreau directed marvel movies he did a pretty bloody good job at making them look good even when maybe there weren't as much of the practicalities around it um but yeah it's um it's an interesting show so far and i am enjoying it and i am interested to see where it goes but just a bit a bit slow on the pacing and uh just a bit a bit too strong out i think um but i don't know if has, has anyone else seen it um, and what do they think no i haven't seen it yet i'm like yeah. way behind on the star wars like i haven't even finished andor Andor's great. Andor's the best one um, by by some considerable distance, I would say. And that felt, in terms of pacing, so much more uh, logical because you had like three mini pods where it was like 12 episodes and there were like three, four part things that happened in the show and they kind of looped all around back together towards the end of it and it was just really well executed. Um, Whereas they haven't done that so far here. It's a bit like the pacing of the Boba Fett show where it started slowly, like really slowly of him in a banter tank and then just like, you know, gradually showing you how he was nursed back to health after he fell into the Sarlacc pit. Then for like two episodes, it's the Mandalorian. And then there's like a big final battle in the town and like Boba Fett kind of takes over the town and stuff in the last two episodes. And you were like, why the fuck did we spend like five episodes of watching this dude like in some water explain how the sand people slowly healed him back together? Could we not have been setting up all the cool stuff that happens in this episode and taking more time with it? Honestly, this, the pacing of Star Wars shows is bizarre and I nearly always enjoy them by the end, but just the start of them just feels like a grind. Um, that's that's my only criticism really. So I could see how, Dave, if you started watching some of these shows, you might be a bit mm, itchy at first, mm. put it that way. Yeah, I like it's not for uh, that I absolutely don't want them. I'm just like, I don't know. There's none, and I, I've enjoyed Andor for what I've watched, but there's none of them that are just giving me the I need to watch this shit straight away 
type energy. Um, yeah, I think I'm probably the high man on Star Wars on this podcast anyway. Like, I've always mm. been a big Star Wars guy um, ever since I was, like, little. And I remember when the, they first kind of remastered the original trilogy and brought it out in cinemas in, in the UK. I don't know if, if they did the same thing in Ireland. Yeah, but, they did, yeah. Was, and yeah. Before, the, before Phantom Menace came out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I remember being sort of like eight, nine, ten years old and going to watch those those films in cinemas, and you know, it it, it probably would have felt exactly the same way as like any kid doing that sort of thing in like late seventies, early eighties. So, you know, it kind of was a real smart move because they sort of captured a new generation <laughs> and got people really into Star Wars. And then remember going to see the Phantom Menace and being super excited and absolutely loving it. And then, you know, rewatching it as I got older and being like, oh boy, <laughs> this ain't that good <laughs> as I remember it. Although I still will stand on the table for Revenge of the Sith, which I think is a great movie. But uh, yeah, modern trilogy, maybe not that great, but some of the stuff they've done in the show so far, I think is cool. And, and in general, if anyone's going to pick out one of the shows, to watch I do love The Mandalorian but I do think Andor is probably the best even if you're not into Star Wars show out there that you would just enjoy as a 12 episode story um, I uh, have maybe the most current thing I've, I've ever talked about in the in the scene it section of our agenda here <laughs> you're um, watching it as we've been recording so yes yes exactly watching it live now I want to give a commentary track but um, so Netflix um, compared to their peak where a lot of their originals coming out were bangers have gotten decidedly more patchy over the years um, and uh, I, I don't want to reopen old wounds with when the uh, but it's the closest comparison to when the, the live action Cowboy Bebop came out how long ago was that Mark? Uh, that was about two years ago I'd say two years ago broke some hearts um, I, I mean uh, people were very sensitive it, it's fine it's, it was aggressively fine they fucked up a few things it was not the end of the world so that came out and then the next uh, the next manga the next anime that was announced as uh, being getting the uh, the Netflix treatment was One Piece uh, which is in terms of volume perhaps the most daunting thing to uh to tackle hench. for an adaptation we're on uh, of the anime alone i was checking this earlier today we are on 1081 episodes that's not um, one piece at all no indeed <laughs> several pieces and unlike things like dragon ball which are several hundred episodes but dragon ball z ended uh unlike something like i think naruto is over isn't it uh, and a bunch of these other ones uh one piece is at 1081 episodes of the anime and the manga is still being written weekly uh, and Chirio Oda, who wrote it, uh, seems to show no signs of slowing down. I spent the last few years going, maybe this arc is the next one. Maybe this saga is the, is the last one. Uh, and it's, it's just not happening, is my understanding of it. I have attempted several different times to watch One Piece, and I've maintained uh, the, the anime this is. I, I have maintained that... If I found it at the same time as Dragon Ball and therefore had the time to watch it like I did with Dragon Ball, I think it would be my favourite show maybe ever. Uh, Because I love everything about it except how much of it there is. I I have had a similar thought process over the years. We had an old um, flatmate here who uh, he would, you know, occasionally have it on in the background on TV and I'd be looking at it 
And I'd be like, yeah, if I was like 15, 16, getting home every day after school, <laughs> watching an episode or two of this, I'd have been well on board with it. Because, because look, just, young just boys no are chance. easy to appeal to. We fucking love pirates, right? And this is a pirate anime about trying to find the one piece, the the sole piece of treasure that will make you king of the pirates. And you follow uh, Monkey D. Luffy and his, uh, his crew of straw hats as they sail through the Grand Line and all the wacky adventures and places and people they meet. Um, they have adapted this monster of an anime into a Netflix series. And... Um, I think since minute one where footage of this show has kind of leaked out into the ether, people have been extremely worried. Um, Can I just say, by the way, if, if you're a thousand episodes in and you still haven't found the one piece, just go find something yeah. else to do. Pick up a different hobby. Surely. There are this, this season. I don't even know because I haven't, I've, I'm two and a bit episodes in. Um, so I don't know how far through it, it, it covers the one saga I've watched of One Piece, the East Blue saga, which according to um, the, the the wiki I just looked up here uh, is 100 chapters or 61 episodes of the anime and they've condensed uh, some amount of that into eight Netflix episodes, I believe it is. Um, and I was fixing to watch this and have it deliver on everybody's worst fears and I am here to say it's pretty good. Uh, I am kind of astonished by it. I don't think it's like it's one of those things where if you're into it, you're still going to prefer the manga or the anime to it. But as far as adapting something, I, I think there's and it's not to denigrate the work that they did on Cowboy Bebop, but I think there's something about the style of Cowboy Bebop that makes it a little bit easier to do a live action anime like adaptation of because there's a lot of stylistic and and cinematic tricks from live action that are kind of in the original anime it's more cinematic this is entirely more cartoonish and wacky yeah i mean the problem with bebop is that they fucked up the screenplay that's that is it like they got the casting down they've got for the most part the look of it down they just fucked up the screenplay um because i guess by and and um, you know i i think the uh, the original creator kind of oversaw, but wasn't hands on in terms of like the, the the writing and whatnot. So my first question to you was like, is is the original like the the anime production are they behind this in any capacity, or is it kind uh, it of like overseeing? Seem, I don't know how involved Oda is in it, but I I what I can say from what I've watched so far is that it's very faithful. Okay. Uh, which is really funny because it's kind of what with something like this, it's kind of what people want. But the the most negative review I've read of the show so far was IGN, whose main argument against it was that it was a faithful adaptation. And I'm kind of just like it's just one of those classic. Well, you can't please everybody no. because I, I I'm assuming everybody would have met would have went mental the slightest bit you deviated from the like from Oda's original story. <laughs> Again, let's let's talk about the ending of Bebop some more, yeah, shall we? But I no. think I think they've done a really good job with it. I think the CG is what it is. If you've seen a Netflix show and you know the kind of the level of CG you're going to get in it, so that stuff. It's kind of hard to avoid because, like, obviously when he's using his gum-gum powers that he got from the devil fruit, you're seeing that a a fair bit in the show. But I think it's really well shot. I think it's really well cast, full of, like, a cast full of relative unknowns, with the exception of the occasional narrator, who is Ian McShane. 
Uh, <laughs> and it's just, wow. It's, hey, I, hey, I haven't hey, seen it. Excuse me. That is Ian McShane, uh, most well known as playing Blackbeard in Pirates of the Caribbean 4. Thank you very much. I thought say Lovejoy. Uh, yeah, I thought he was going to say Lovejoy. I was going to yeah, get really excited. I, I haven't checked the credits to make 100% sure, but when you hear that voice, it's fucking Ian McShane. Oh, you, you know that. You that's know a voice that's you know. fucking Al Swearingen right there, that is. Um, so that was, that was a pleasant surprise, but it's like, it, it's one of those, I think they've deliberately gone out of their way to not stunt cast the show um, so that you're kind of focusing more on the actual characters and I think they've done really really well with that I think everybody get like they understand the assignment a lot of the people who are cast to play um, the different characters in it and for the most part it seems like just looking online that people are relatively positive on it without being kind of like gushing with praise now I still think because this is like Again, one of those direct adaptations of something that is kind of hard to watch over here. Um, I, I do still think it's kind of pointless because you could have just like Netflix have the rights to to One Piece in North America and a bunch of different territories. They don't have it here, but you could just like I would if it, I could watch it easily on UK and Ireland Netflix, I'd probably still prefer watching it that way. It, it does seem like it's a zero-sum gain, or even yeah. maybe even like less than that, because the amount of money that has to go into something like this, I, you know, I can't even imagine what the production cost would be. Because anytime you dive into that, um, obviously, other than Dragon Ball Evolution, yeah. which had a budget of about twelve quid, uh, you know, like doing any kind of anime adaptation because of the the scale and spectacle of so many of those animes, like any time you even. 18 million per episode. <laughs> I just don't see how they're, they're recouping the yeah. cost of that. I but just don't also see. Also, the thing where, like, it, it will get cancelled at some point because, like, no one, especially Netflix, is going to quit that much money to the amount of episodes that would need to be made to cover all of this. Like, I'm... I am so keeping everything crossed that they, the other recent success in terms of adaptation... Uh, they had is the Sandman, which I think is a really good adaptation. Yeah, but their whole um, their whole season only did a couple of the volumes, and there's ten volumes. So I'm like, we're going to need to get through at least five seasons of this fucking show without it being cancelled. And I'm not optimistic about that. So, well, I mean, I think the bigger issue is anything getting written at the moment, let alone yeah. anything getting to the but, point where it could be cancelled. Look, let's enjoy One Piece while we have it, and I, I suppose the ultimate thing is if it makes more people curious about seeking out the anime to watch then it's a it's a it's a pretty good effort um but yeah just pleasantly surprised by um also um if you don't like clowns i would probably give it a skip because uh, the first major antagonist in it is Buggy the Clown, and they've got they have amped up the creepy in the live action version compared to the anime, and I, I'm I'm here for it. But uh, yeah, anyone with chlorophobia probably not for you, I would say. Um, moving on to video games, I haven't really played anything, although I was hoping to get an update for this show on Starfield. Uh, from a uh, friend of the show and former co-host Brian but he was letting me know that uh, in classic Bethesda fashion um, the people who uh, paid the 30 quid extra to get the uh, five day early access with all the kind of cosmetic shit uh, mo- most of them weren't able to play it 
when it launched <laughs> last night. Of course. <laughs> they just forgot to unlock it. Uh, so I think it is Good fine stuff. now as of time of recording. I think those people are all able to get into the game. But I don't have a report on Starfield from Brian. And he basically did say, like, unless you really want to play this game five days early, none of the other stuff is worth your time for that extra 30 quid. So after September 6th, I'll be your man on Starfield. But other than I, I that, have, uh, get to fuck. I, I, I have the 120 gigs of it pre-installed onto my PC, yeah. but I'm probably not getting to it till about November. So, yeah. yeah. The only uh, the only local report I have of it so far is friend of the show Matt Niner, and I quote: "I've never played a Bethesda. Do they always make such a bad first impression?" <laughs> so, Did you then follow up with the quote uh, to which I answered his question? Literally, always. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it was a fair quote. Yeah. Um, he said it's smooth. It's just it, it just wants me to everything it wants me to do is really slow. Yeah. Um, I've heard that from a few like reviews that I kind of took a look at, like that maybe before you get to go and adventure around, it is just a little bit cumbersome. But then after that, you can pretty much do whatever you like. So yeah, I also will be playing it. Um, and I don't know if I'd say I'm excited to play it because. I saw some gameplay and it does just look like another sh- like sh- first-person shooter, uh, I suppose. But we'll we'll see. I'm sure there's a lot more cool stuff to it than that. Um, first up here on the list, I've got Mark. Hey, uh, I I've actually been playing about twelve different fucking things at the moment, but I'll try and um kind of segregate them over the next couple of weeks. Um, the two main things I wanted to talk about. The first one, which I completed this morning, is Viewfinder, which I spoke about, uh, God, like two, three months ago now when the demo dropped on on PlayStation. Uh, This is available on PlayStation 5 and Steam. Um, This is the... A super unique looking first person puzzle game where you're using uh, pictures to kind of create whatever you see in the picture into the scene that you're in. So, you, you know, as a way to uh, access new areas, traverse new areas, um, it's it's pretty cool. Um, I will say this. I, it's interesting to play a game where it has a, a really like original, unique concepts like mechanically that is very clear in terms of its implementation on how to use those mechanics and it varies on the theme a little bit um you know the, the bulk of the puzzles are based around picking up a picture seeing like so you know you have a picture that has like a bridge on it or even just like a wall and then you'll see somewhere in the scene where there's a gap between two platforms and you find a way to kind of place that picture down which then creates a platform for you to go over um, and also kind of like destroys anything that's in the background. So you have to be careful about if there's anything in the background that you might need to get to later on. And you kind of bouncing between levels where each level has a, a teleporter that you need to reach uh, that you might also need to like power up. So sometimes there are pads um, and you have to find X amount of batteries in the, the scene. Sometimes there might be like three batteries that you need but there's only one battery in the scene so you can do things where you can like take a picture of the battery which then like does you know you then plant that picture anywhere in the world and the battery drops out and you've got a new battery uh sometimes there are scenes where there's a photocopier you can literally you know take a, a copy of the photo um but you might need to first like take a picture of the photocopier because it might be like upside down so you take a picture of it 
use the picture, turn it upside down to have the photocopy the right way, then take your picture with the battery to make a copy of it. And there's that kind of like that sequence to get to, to the point of kind of solving the puzzle. And it's just, it's a really fun and smart concept that the what the, the two issues that I have, first of all, I don't think they take the idea as far as they can. And it's certainly only in like the last couple of levels. And it's a fairly short game. It's like five worlds that are about 40 minutes each. Um, it, you definitely by the end, you feel like, oh, we're, we're really starting to stretch our legs now in terms of like the, the ideas that you can do with these puzzles. And then the game is over. Uh, which is a shame, but, you know, I, I would always rather take that than um, something overstaying its welcome, becoming self-indulgent, yada, yada, yada. Um, the, the other issue is that it's one of those games where I don't know if it's on, like, the developer side or the publisher side, where they're like, well, you've got this kind of cool abstract world um, with these, like, sequences of levels that are not really connected thematically or story-wise or whatnot. Let's bolt on a story there um to try and kind of tie this all together in a way that actively detracts from the experience of the game and has some very very poor dialogue and performances and the best way to enjoy this thing is as soon as it starts just whack the volume down to zero uh, and just ignore everything when people are talking because it does not add to the experience in any way whatsoever it's purely like just i'm here for these abstract wonky quirky puzzles that get me to kind of break the environment in ways it, it has a little bit i feel of the uh kind of tears of the kingdom multiple ways to skin a cat not to the same degree but there, there is a little bit sometimes where you you can see there's like because there are times when you have a camera and you can take a picture of anything to use that to you know traverse the next part of the environment you can take a picture of anything in the environment that you think can help you get from point a to point b so it's uh it's really cool i i do think it is worth checking out um i i just i think it is a little bit lacking in terms of it being able to fully flesh out the the, the ideas that it has to present but it's it's still what is here is is really unique and and there are certainly times where you'll kind of come across a puzzle where you'll spend the first part of it scratching your chin wondering, what, how the fuck do I do this? Then you feel like a genius when you figure it out. And on top of that as well, you're like, you fuckers, like this is such a great puzzle. This is such a great idea. Uh, and it has moments of that throughout its its duration, but it's just not, it's not sustained enough to make me think that it's like, you know, come the end of the year, it's going to break into like, a, it, it could like scratch the top 10, but that, that's about as, as, as far as it will go for me, I feel. Um, the other thing, and, and I guess looking at the uh, the production notes here, Garrett, you can join me on this, is Bomb Rush Cyberfunk, uh, which is the uh, kind of spiritual successor to Jet Set Radio. Um, I, off the bat, I'm just going to put this out here. I like Jet Set Radio more in terms of its concept than its actual, actual execution. I go and play that game every couple of years, and I play it for like five minutes, and I'm like... I really like everything about this game other than the actual playing of it. I find it mechanically a bit stunted um, in, in a way that sometimes those early millennium games can be. Um, so this is trying to, you know, kind of take that aesthetic with the cell shading, the the kind of like early 2000s fusion of, of garage and... and uh rock and, and and other kind of styles of music from that time um 
and then bring it into something that's I guess a little bit more more modern in terms of the mechanics and so, whatnot. Sorry, Mark, I don't mean to interrupt you, but Dennis Rodman's going to be on AEW Collision. This I week. did see that. I did see that. <laughs> yes. Just, yeah, that's yeah. that's just fully jammed my brain shut at the moment. But continue. Next week they'll have Megadeth on, and then we'll really be you know cooking gas. Um, so I actually, Garrett, I'm going to bring you in here, uh, and I want to see kind of how you're feeling about this or how far you're into it so far. I have no point of reference because I've never played Jet Set. So this is an entirely new thing to me. And I'm about two hours in. I went through like their first world, did their first like equivalent of a boss fight, I guess, where you're uh, doing like the high score against the other team. Then went into the second area and I'm like, I think I've had enough. <laughs> I think I've gotten what this game is. And I'm, I, I'm like, it's OK. It, it controls pretty well. Com- except when you're doing like combat, combat and fighting things. Fucking Combat dog shit is fucking dire in this thing. <laughs> when you're fighting something in this game, it is dreadful because you're usually fighting things that are above you, and like that the part of it is like you want to uh, like you know uh, uh, work your way around the area to gain height and then attack something in the air. But it's just a pain in the ass. But like when you're exploring the area and doing like tricks and stuff, I, I think it's fine. But it's it's it didn't hook. I haven't played it in a couple of weeks. I haven't come back to it. I haven't thought about going back to it, which I think is the the bigger knock against it. My my biggest problem with the combat is there's no real like feedback that mm. you've actually knocked down an enemy and they're gone. Like you just kind of keep hitting enemies and tagging them until just the scene stops and then it goes on to the next thing. But like you still got enemies kind of running at you and there's there's no real kind of feedback there that. Hey, you've actually like cleared out this wave of of uh, the police force or whatever the, the enemies are. Um, like the core concept of the game, the core flow of the game is like you've got different areas which are run by different like local gangs, and you're going around and you're tagging over like all of their their tags and you're building up rep um, to gain their attention, which then leads into uh, like a, a, a challenge where you go off against them and you're trying to get a high score. And there's a couple of things about this game. And I think the biggest thing is that the game can't really decide whether it wants to be a Jet Set game or a Tony Hawk's game. Because you're not just... You've got three characters that you can go between. And the, the story is primarily driven through one character that's on the skateboard. But the three characters, you've got one that's on rollerblades, one that's on a bike, and one that's on a skateboard. And for the most part, even though obviously the tricks are different between them, the movement is is fairly similar like it doesn't feel like you get too much of a difference if you're playing like on the bike or you're playing on the skateboard but because the the the, the story is primarily driven through the the characters on the skateboard that's you know what i've spent most of the time as and obviously because i've played a lot of tony hawks over the years my brain is distilled in a particular way about like how the movement should work and so there's a couple of things to to kind of take into account first of all when you play a Tony Hawk's game, to Ollie, you hold down X, then you let go, and that's when you jump. In this, you just tap, uh, and you just do an Ollie, and it's like the same amount of distance, the same amount of height, um, which is really jarring and takes a while to get used to. There's no balancing on, on rails and manuals or whatnot. Like, if you hit a rail, you'll just ride that thing until the end. So the challenge of trying to kind of keep your balance is removed. Um, and the really weird thing, and this took a, a long while to kind of wrap my head around, is that uh, sometimes you get challenges where you need to, you know, hit like a 50 uh, trick combo or a 50 combo, um, or you need to get a particularly high score. And to do that, you need to train a combo together. 
But the way that you chain a combo together isn't by doing different tricks. It's by the and the only way that you can like get your com combo score up is when you're grinding. When you come to like a rail uh, that that turns left or turn right, if you hit left and you hit it at the right time, that then gets your combo to it starts multiplying. Um, but it will only do it that one time on that particular rail. So if you've got like a, a square, you can get you know your multiplier up by four. But you'll have to move on to an, another rail and keep that that combo going to find other rails to to, to keep the multiplier or increase the multiplier. They give you one of your wall riders bombs. Is it wall riding as well? I never found that to be effective, but I just kind of stuck to to the uh, grinding and that, and that seemed to do the trick. Yeah, it's weird that it's and, like it's not the tricks that do it for you. It's just like so you're more concerned about just staying in the flow of being on a rail or grinding off a wall or being on a rail or manualing yeah. between rails as opposed to actually focusing on doing tricks while you're on the rails or doing tricks while you're in the world. So it's basically, it's more about continuing your movement than it is doing tricks. And what, it, and what it feels like to me is it kind of feels like if you had a Tony Hawk's game that they'd made for like the Sega arcades model 2 and model 3 that you'd play you know like in a uh, an arcade uh, cabinet or whatnot where it's trying to kind of find a way to sort of strip down elements of that tony hawk system in a way that is i guess more accessible more streamlined and kind of like that sort of like faster pace i guess that's what this is and i don't think it's like inherently bad i think it probably it works for like the vibe of this game but it's so not what I'm used to that it did take me a good kind of two hours to kind of wrap my head around it. And I, I don't think it's like, it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not as preferable as the Tony Hawk system, but I do think it works for this game, but it's not as, uh, it, do it doesn't as feel, satisfying, yeah, I was about to say, it doesn't know? feel satisfying when you get a big combo yeah. in the same yeah, way it, it really does in doesn't. Tony Hawk, because you have to do the skills. There, there is more skill involved in Tony Hawk as opposed to just continuing one long rail grind in this. And like the areas don't feel as distinct as Tony Hawk levels do. And like the tasks, like for the most part, you're just wandering around these areas trying to tag specific area, specific parts, trying to get your tag up to, to increase your rep. So like the thing you're doing for the most part is pretty repetitive. So like by the time I got, I think about halfway through that second area, I was like, I get it. Yeah. And, and I think one of the bigger issues that, um, where I'm at at the moment, cause I'm, I'm quite a bit further than you, Garrett, is that, the game isn't particularly great about communicating where you need to go or what you need to do. It, um, like they, it has a map, but you have to open it every time because it has the thing where you're like a flip phone and you open the phone and it shows you your air. It's like, just put that on the screen. Come on. And it takes up like a third of the screen. And I, I like the implementation of it because it's all handled through the D-pad, which isn't used for anything else. And I think that actually it, it feels quite nice. It feels quite realistic that you're kind of flicking with the D-pad to open it up and turn it in. That's all pretty good. But as you say, it takes up like a third of the screen. And even the map itself is actually quite small in comparison to the rest of the phone. So you can kind of get an idea what you need to do, but it's just not. It's purely there as like an aesthetic more than a function. And like I've got the issue now where it, I've got like what the mission command it wants me to do. It needs me to find someone called Frank, but it's not giving me anything on the map to tell me where I need to go. And you could argue that like, well, hey, back in the day, if you needed to find someone, you just had to go find them. But I've been searching for about 40 fucking minutes. I've been around this map and I cannot find anything. I was hoping at some point the game would just say, look, here, over here, go over here. But it hasn't done that yeah, yet. Yeah, two things. One, um, we're not back in the day anymore. Stop it. 
<laughs> like there's a bunch of games that are like that that are like doing like retro throwbacks to ps1 games and they're keeping like the obstinate like design flaws of those games in like in the view of like nostalgia or whatever no stop it uh, I, I guess like an artificial challenge you could you could argue as well maybe but then my other thing is, is like if you don't use the map in that game it's really hard to actually see like the, the characters aren't that distinct when you're wandering around the map yeah. and there's a person you need to find they don't stand out it's not like it's like oh it's that person clearly right where yeah. like you could ride right past them and be like oh wait no are you yeah yeah and uh, and also like the fucking the, the hit collection uh, the the um the collision box the collision detection on like so sometimes if you complete a challenge um an icon will appear that's like a new tag you can use but you have to get up to wherever that fucking tag is but the problem is is the collision detection on it is literally the icon itself so if if you're like a fraction too far to the left of it you just sail past it and have to go back up and jump and get it again which is really annoying um my biggest issue with the game is it does a thing where as you start going around the, the world and you start tagging things, you, you garner heat. Uh, kind of similar to the GTA system of, like, you build up star rankings. Uh, you build up star rankings, and the more stars you got, like, the more uh, the, the police force are coming down on you. The way that you get rid of the, the, the police is you have to find uh, changing rooms, or in this case, it's like a, like a portal potty or toilets, and then you change your outfit, and that will get rid of it. The problem is, is that the the toilets or, you know, whatever you use to change in this game, kind of similar to what Garrett's saying there in terms about finding NPCs and whatnot. They're so visually just not communicated that I have spent genuinely 20 to 25 minutes just trying to find a way to change my fucking outfit so I can continue on to the next part of the game. Even the first time I found one, I went into it by accident and was like, oh, you can go into it. It's not just set dressing. Weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's this, there's just a bunch of things like that where it's like there's a really the, the idea of doing a spiritual success with Jetset Radio, thumbs up. But it's just yeah, the execution is. There are parts of it where that charm, that vibe comes through. Just when you're kind of like bouncing around, I, I think the story is actually kind of interesting. Like your main character, there's a decapitation fucking, in the first two minutes of this game. It's like, it goes fucking hardcore from the start. So I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm on board with this. I think the music is very much like doing what it needs to do. And I think some of the songs are really cool. But it's just, yeah, just, it, it has too many misses for it to be uh, uh, an essential uh, an essential look at, unfortunately. Yeah, my thing is just like, this game is a game where if the minute to minute of it is great, who cares about the rest? Like if the actual skating and moving and all that is really fun. Like the red, you can overcome all those flaws, but for me, it, it's kind of not. It's a little bit tedious. Um, Garrett, you have uh, another game, one that uh, I've been seeing people talk about a lot this week on Twitter. A little Sea of Stars. Yeah, I haven't played a ton of Sea of Stars. I played a little of Sea of Stars, but yeah. it's gotten rave reviews. Like, like it's one of the better reviewed games of the year. It's very much a throwback to the Super Nintendo era of RPGs, maybe a little bit Game Boy Advance era of RPGs as well. Uh, Garrett, Garrett, crucial question. Mm. Are you playing it on Game Pass or did you purchase it? I did purchase it, but in my defense, I kickstarted it. So. Ah, okay. All right. All right. I, I, I'll let this one slide. I did purchase this like three years ago. As opposed, it's, it's actually it's on <laughs> PS Plus too. So it's on literally both of the services. But I gave them money back when they were asking for money. 
So I am technically a producer of this game, just to declare my conflict of interest. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, it's a big wig producer. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. It seems like it's very pretty. It has music by Yasunori Matsuda. So that's a thumbs up. Chrono Trigger um, uh, composer. Also, more importantly, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 composer, which, by the way, the album for Xenoblade Chronicles 3 came out uh, between this and the last episode I was on. God, we made such a good call last year. God, the music in that game is so good. You were like, hang on a second. Are you talking about this game just as a way to talk about yeah, Zelda yeah, 3 soundtrack? You just always backdoor in Zelda Chronicles 3. But yeah, they released the actual album, like the full album, because all the you just have to listen to game rips and all that. But hearing like the full quality music and you hear like little layers and little bits of depth you don't get just playing the game. And it's like, oh, the soundtrack's so good. But yes, it shares a composer with Zelda Chronicles 3. <laughs> yes, and Ray Masuda, who does some guest tracks on this. Um, I haven't played a ton of it. Uh, I still only like scratching the surface. I played like an hour but it seems really cool and it seems like exactly what the people who want a game like this want out of a game like this as opposed to the bomb rush cyberpunk which is kind of annoying um it's from the developers of the messenger which is like a real hard turn from what the messenger is yeah i, I played some of that about a year or so ago and it's like it's a pretty cool one of those metroidvania style action platformers uh so i i i, I was reading up a little bit about sea of stars a couple of days ago and yeah one of the first things like developers of the messenger and i was like what this this doesn't seem like that at all yeah it's it's very much though i guess the kind of the connection is like games from our childhood i guess is what they're doing except just in a completely different genre now than the messenger was uh so it's it's, it's interesting to see them do that pivot they're not just doing the messenger 2 or a game that feels like the messenger they're like nope turn-based rpg so well it's currently working out well for them Hundred thousand copies sold on day one yeah i'm excited to dig more into it because as i said like the reviews have been absolutely glowing for this thing i was very excited to read that it has about a 20 hour playtime, which is just what i wanted to, to see Thumbs up. Uh, for this yeah yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting to this i god knows when i'm going to but uh, i've definitely got it down um <laughs> Probably before Baldur's Gate and Starfield, so fuck knows when I'll get to them. <laughs> yeah, it's busy here. It's getting very busy. Um, moving on to the news, and Garrus, another tremendous win for capitalism. Ah, yes. Our favorite pals, the Embracer Group, who were buying up all the studios in the world, and nothing could possibly have gone wrong with them buying up all the students and, uh, studios and IP in the world. Uh, they closed Volition Games, best known as the developers of Saints Row. They, Are you saying that hoovering up studios without putting out anything of a high quality was an unsustainable business model, Garrett? It turns out to have been. Who could have seen this coming? I have no idea. Because there was the story a, a couple months ago where Embracer were like, we are on the verge of this really big deal that will finance a bunch of shit, and that fell through. So then we're like, well, everybody's fucked. And it's like, well, what about all those people you uh, you hired and all those studios you bought and all those people you're responsible for now? And turns out, fuck them. Uh, so the, the studio has been closed effective immediately as the parent company Embracer Group's previous announced a restructuring program. God loves the word restructuring. Uh, Volition, which celebrated its 30th anniversary earlier this year, announced the closure in a statement shared on social media, conveniently timed with the review embargo of Starfield. Now, the cynical ones among us might be like, are they trying to bury that news? To which the answer is yes, obviously, but fuck them. Uh, but they said in the statement, this past June, Embracer Group announced a restructuring program to strengthen and maintain its position as a leader in the video game industry as part of that 
program, they evaluated strategic and operational goals and made the difficult decision to close Volition effective immediately. I hate everything about all of the words in that sentence. Yeah, I I was it, it hurts because like I was a big Saints Row guy um, at the time when those games were coming out. I felt around the time that GTA 4 was going off in a particular direction, not to re-legislate that again. But when that was going off in a particular direction, Saints Row was giving me what I wanted from a GTA type game uh in a way that uh true crime the streets of la wasn't getaway black monday sadly wasn't uh this was my alternative to gta and those games were so dumb so fun uh that's before you get even into the the red faction of it all and um i'm just it's it's the first one of these in a while where i'm just like uh this one hits close to home in terms of my like growing up playing video games yeah it really feels like that like game last year the 2022 reboot of saints row was like their one swing that they had and it, they kind of missed and yeah it's I, done the, the thing the thing was well like it's it's not even just that you kind of look at like violation going back really over the last like 10 years or so you know you had the the agents of mayhem um which just kind of came and 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 died in in the effort and you know, like, does anyone remember that that was a thing that happened? Um, and then... No. Exactly, <laughs> you know? Uh, and and Saints Row 4, like, I've, I've never really been a big Saints Row person myself, um, but it, it did kind of feel like, what is the best use of this studio at this moment? Because it kind of feels like, if, if at this moment all they can do is Saints Row and they can't even do that... Uh, to, to the degree to the quality that they once could you probably are better off you know moving the the talent into other areas which unfortunately they, they just closed the studio yeah which, they just you know, they just fired them yeah that that is the problem here is the fact that they've just taken the studio which they've acquired and then just just dropped it and said no nah, get fucked um you know like i'd have no issue if you're like all right look this isn't working anymore this isn't sustainable let's move people into other areas and use that talent elsewhere good cool but it's just the fact that it's just a nah get get fucked um is part of the ongoing and continuous problem that is the unsustainability uh of this model that exists in you know the structure of video game um uh business and it's just it's just awful it's just it's absolutely awful and uh you know, just one of many other um, announcements we've had about restructuring, closing, people being made redundant. Like, it's just every week at the moment. And it's just, it's exhausting. Uh, and yeah, yeah, it's just really a real shame. It really bums me out when they put out that statement. Like, we have been a company for 30 years, yeah. you know, through all the ups and the downs. And you think about the evolution of the video game industry over the last 30 years, how everything has changed and grown and like you know diversified and the consoles that have like came and went and stuff and they've sort of ridden a wave all the way through that and then you know a big company buys them up a year or two ago and now they don't exist anymore it just blows i hate stuff like this happening it's just yeah it's really sad um i don't know what happens do a few of the people that worked for the company just go away and form a new company, maybe? Um, and I guess what, do Embracer then just own the Saints Row IP and just sit on it and do nothing with it? 
Well, it's, sure. it's that and Red Faction, I presume, yeah. are like the yeah. two big IPs. Yeah. Maybe they need to come out with a couple more games like Rain and Fed Raction and uh, continue to make <laughs> games in their own company. But yeah, I, I hope some people kind of spin off the studio and, and start doing their own thing. Um, and it doesn't lead to, you know, just people kind of getting frustrated and leaving the industry altogether because we need creative and cool people in the video game industry and I'm sure lots of them work for Volition. If it makes you feel better, Impressor has also previously revealed plans to focus and exploit its Lord of the Rings and Hobbit licenses yes. in a very significant fashion to improve its video game business. Yeah. Which uh, went so well for that Gollum game that came out <laughs> early this year. Yeah. Good lord. I've kind of really forgotten got, about that. Haven't even really had the chance to get into that one yet, have we? But uh, that feels like one that they're going to exploit that while they still have it before the Tolkien estate gets one look at one of their games. They're like, oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> God. Uh, coming to a worst of the year list near you very soon, I'm sure. Mm, indeed. Um, for our next story, we're going to you, Jack, um, as Sony have another one of those the fucking gall of these guys moment. Yeah, I, I don't know... Have Sony released too many stats about how PlayStation Plus subscriptions are doing? Because I think I remember like hearing about it the last time it wasn't going too well. So obviously, the next step is PlayStation Plus 12-month subscriptions getting global price increase from September. The premium tier price will rise by £20. Anyway, Sony announced a global price increase for PlayStation Plus memberships. It comes into account on the 6th of September. Uh, The basic level, uh, PlayStation Plus Essential, will go up from £50 UK to £60 UK. 12 months of extra goes from £83.99 to £99.99. So that's up £16. And... PlayStation Plus Premium rises from ninety nine to a hundred and nineteen ninety nine. So the PlayStation Plus price increases will be reflected globally, and Sony has provided updated pricing details for Europe, the US, and Japan as part of its announcement. Uh, and Sony insists the newly announced price increase will enable it to continue bringing high quality games and value added benefits to your PlayStation Plus subscription service and is keen to stress that a 12 month plan still offers discounted access to the service compared with purchasing one or three month plans over a 12 month period. Yeah, I'm sure it does. But you're still jacking the price of the main subscription. And, up, and that's the thing is like they're jacking up the pres- uh, subscription price, and the service is getting no better. Like adding fu- nothing. Funny enough, in a related story, one of the games that's coming this month on uh, PlayStation Plus is the uh, the just mentioned badly done Saints Row reboot uh, that collapsed the studio. Um, so I'm not filled with the oh my god I need to crack open my wallet and get back on PS it's Plus just, it's just like your favourite landlord just, they're just following the market trend that's yeah. all but funnily enough my uh, my Xbox Game Pass Ultimate isn't going up by a commensurate amount uh, it went up by like right. 2, 3 quid it's like 15 yeah, yeah, quid yeah. now yeah. yeah but still remains great yes, yeah, yes. I mean, there's, there's the a substantial difference between the two yeah all the uh, game streaming and uh, like video streaming services seem to be putting up their prices because I feel like none of them are making any money from any mm. of this. That seems to be like the general intel is that despite, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, like Sony and Microsoft do not need more money. 
<laughs> so they can afford to lose like a shitload of money. I mean, they would like it. They want to make all of it, but still, they don't need any more money. But I don't see how these services really are turning a profit for them. Has, so we shouldn't really be surprised at this kind of price. It turns like, out most of they, them aren't. <laughs> like, like Peacock no. is losing money for for NBCU. Most of those streaming services are like, like uh, Paramount Plus is losing money. Disney Plus is losing Don't money. Like that. when Disney is losing money doing it, all yeah. of you are fucked. All of them. Like Netflix, everyone was like, Netflix made money, so Netflix is the future. Then everyone piled but Netflix it. is also hemorrhaging money now as well. Yeah. <laughs> and now everyone's just looking at this being like, well, fuck, this isn't the future at all. We're all losing money on these streaming services. And then they just announced, like, the CEO of Disney is going to make, like, $71 million next year or some fucking asinine figure like that. Yeah, pretty much yeah. all of those uh, figures have been played out pretty huge at the moment because, obviously, the writer's strike slash SAG strike is going on as we speak. So, therefore, you're hearing more and more about how much these executives are earning and refusing to pay the people that create the content that makes their unprofitable platforms at least a little <laughs> bit of money. Uh, so, I guess fuck them all uh, would probably be my message. Um, like, like, yeah, that's the, money. That's what if we still charge everybody and we can't put anything out? Yeah, that's the thing that really fucked them though because like they're getting much smaller residuals off of streaming than they used to get off of any other medium and also those streaming services are fucking losing money <laughs> so yeah. they're losing Somebody. on both ends yeah somebody um priced up the other day in america as well like a basically you know like your your standard american cable package to have like all of the channels including the sports and stuff and then if you wanted all of the streaming platforms like your hulus your peacocks your netflix Disney plus and it actually works out that if you have all of the streaming services you can get in america now it costs more money than a basic cable package so they're not even competitive on price anymore that would get people to do it and and I think Netflix had their first positive growth in a long time by basically stopping people from sharing passwords, but that's not a sustainable as well. That's like a one month bump. Passwords again. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, I, I'm not involved in the business, so I wouldn't know, but I would have thought that, all right, if we're going to do this thing, and this is for Netflix specifically, if we're going to do this thing where we're going to ensure that, you know, everyone has to have their own account, would you not think that all right, maybe if we drop the price by like, you know, a quid or two or even just anything that shows that, you know, it's now cheaper to get it, that that might convince, you know, if you've got two people sharing an account, oh, well, look, it's a bit cheaper now. I can, you know, get my own one. Maybe, but, maybe not. I mean, at some point, you know, like this bubble has to burst and yeah. these studios and Sony and Microsoft have to be like, look, this, this is not fucking sustainable, certainly in the current um, economic climate. Um, but yeah. again, what the fuck do I know? Well, Game Pass rocks. That's that's the only difference. Uh, this Sony thing no, doesn't and hasn't got anywhere near the depth of games. Doesn't have anything new. Like, I can't really remember anything new coming out exclusively on this for a long time mm. that made any sort of waves whatsoever. The Sony one doesn't even um, really compete with Nintendo's. No, no has, has, Nintendo, Nintendo, has Nintendo racked up their price at all this I year? I don't think so. But theirs is only like, what is it, four fifty, sixty bucks a year? Yeah, I mean, theirs, theirs is operating on such a different, like... At least at least you get good games with Nintendo. System. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nintendo's game library, like of of like retro games, is worth a lot more than Microsoft. And yeah, Sony's. it'd be nice if they'd fucking put it hey, on. You there. got Excite Bike sixty four <laughs> this week. Don't you give out? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll just look at my Steam Deck, which I've had with that jail, fucking on jail, there for the last jail, year jail, now. Jail, jail. <laughs> <laughs> he said the catchphrase, guys. He said the he line. Said the thing. Hit the buzzer. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, the, the big thing about this, and, and as you've kind of mentioned, is just what you're paying for um, and the idea that they're going to increase the price and, like, the level of quality for you're getting is no different. Um, I, I have to think this kind of, like, falls, falls flat, uh, and, and we'll get to, like, the other bit of news in a second as well. And I'm just like, I feel like Sony are winning this generation, but I don't feel like it's... It's kind of it's like in the same way, you know, Labour probably will win the next election, but it's not through any fucking effort. Of their it's own. solely by virtue of having won the last one that they're winning this one. Yeah. yeah. And that Microsoft, uh, they're doing OK, but they also Starfield's their first big game out. I suppose they had Redfall, if anyone remembers that game. But like they've had. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Someone mentioned Redfall to me this week and I was like, fuck, that was this year. Wow. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, Microsoft aren't hitting it out of the park this at the moment either. So it's not like they can climb the the gap between them and sony but yeah sony are in their hubris phase it all it happens to, and like it's not a just a sony thing it's like nintendo have a bad console cycle and then they come into the next one like all apologetic trying to make good with everybody and then they do really well and all it, it all goes to their head and they're like fuck y'all we don't need you and then they make a bunch of bad decisions and have a bad console cycle it happens to all of these people yeah but you know who won this generation Nintendo, I would say. Um, And they continue to win. More people have their console than the other two. And I guess more people play it. And what, if you probably look at the most bought game of the year so far, it's it's Tears of the Kingdom, I would imagine, so far, right? Until Call of Duty comes out. Also, Garrett... Gary, you're talking about like the 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 cycle um, of of, like developers and consoles and whatnot. What's Atari's excuse? Like they've just been fucking hitting dubs for what, the last 20 years <laughs> wasn't it this week they announced they like reissuing the Atari 2600 or something you, you have which... to have success in order to develop hubris unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> uh, or you, you could try and just manufacture hubris which seems to be their, their model and you know god bless them for it uh, our final news story Mark as a man who is the uh, the world's largest known collector of PSPs and Vitas uh, I'm down to two PSPs it, now it, by the it way it seems like uh, lies. did you sell them? I did I've sold some and he's uh, been using them to well. prop up his furniture he's been hopping them off a um, wall yeah is that how you paid for your trip to Romania? you sold your <laughs> no, PSP no, 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 no. Uh, he went cheap. to Romania you- to sell the PSPs <laughs> <laughs> do do smart. Do Sony have your corner of the market on the on the run? Tell us about this last news story. Oh, oh what right. a piece of shit this is! By yeah. the way, I'm going to get ahead of even the news article. <laughs> so, what the fuck is the point you, of this? We you. <laughs> so the original part of this story comes from the 23rd of August. <laughs> but but I think that Garrett's commentary there was just chanting. Yeah. <laughs> We, uh, chill, we were chill, chill. we were gone for a few weeks, so um, I don't know if we did cover this in any capacity over the last couple of weeks. But basically, Sony's handheld gaming device, once codenamed Project Q, now has a proper name and a price tag to go with it. It is called the PlayStation Portal Remote Player, and promises to bring that PS5 experience to the palm of our hand, hands. Uh, as Sony previously said, it will come with the features of a DualSense wireless controller, such as adaptive triggers and haptic feedback. Meanwhile, the remote player screen will be capable of 1080p resolution at 60fps. 
As a reminder, the PlayStation Portal is not a standalone console like a Game Boy, rather you need to own a PS5 already, with the remote player giving you the opportunity to play any games you have installed on your console just elsewhere. For this you will need to have a Wi-Fi connection, otherwise you'll be out of luck. Sony has suggested a high-speed connection of at least 15 megabytes for the best experience. Um, Sony's handheld device is set to launch sometime this year, though we don't have a specific date. We do know that it will cost £199. Fucking hell. It's a Wii U. It's a uh, Wii U gamepad. It is a second screen that you can have within the proximity of your console. It's literally a Wii U gamepad. The update for this. Worse. The update for this story, just to, before we we go in and all knives in, uh, they did actually announce that the PlayStation Portal will launch on the fifteenth of November in the UK, US, France, Germany, Austria, Belgium, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Italy, Spain, and Portugal. And you can pre-order one from direct.playstation.com. Uh, pre-orders will next open in Canada and Japan on the 29th of September. Uh, Mark, when are those Luxembourg pre-orders going live? Yeah, I need I to just, know for the Luxembourg homies. It's like when you're listening to Michael Cole reel off like, yeah, we're coming to you from Ireland and the Netherlands and Luxembourg. And it's like, all right, well, all three people watching from there enjoy the show, I guess. I, Shout out to all my homies in Luxembourg City represent Eastside. I could not imagine having less interest in a device. 200 quid? Yeah. Sake, man. For fuck all. Why? <laughs> yeah. That, that is the thing. Like, I didn't think that Sony would ever get back into the handheld market in the capacity of a, a PSP or a PS Vita, or I guess a PS Vita 2. Um, I guess there's, like, a novel concept to having, like, a streaming device that, you know, I, I guess the big selling feature is this has the, the dual sense and the haptic feedback and blah, blah, blah. But it's like... I can also just fucking stream my PS5 off of my Steam Deck or like off a laptop. I just and I don't have to spend an extra two hundred quid for that. Um, this this seems even like beyond what we've said about the PSVR two. This is like niche upon a niche. Mm. Um, and I guess I can't wait for the PS Portal VR two to come out in two years time for three hundred and fifty quid or something. It's such a collection of cursed words. <laughs> it, I just. The, the hilarious thing to me is the idea of a port, something that you're going to call a portable console that you have to play on a Wi-Fi connection. Wii U. What about Wii U. that? Wii U. Yeah, but what? Yeah, <laughs> but what about that makes it portable? And it doesn't even have Splatoon. It does yeah. feel almost like somebody within Sony is like, let's get back in the handheld market, like a, a big executive, but everyone there doesn't want to. So they're like, we're going to make something as shit as we can. So we can go look at flopped, get off our back about the handheld market. So that's what this is what they came up with to kill their handheld held market forever. Okay, can I say as well, just purely like ergonomics wise, it looks really fucking stupid. Like yep. it, it looks like a tablet with like a PS5 controller sword in half and bolted it, on the side. It's like something you bought off a dodgy website that has <laughs> 99 games packed into it. My AliExpress PS Portable that I, I had yeah. just, uh, that took six months to arrive. Mm-hmm. Soon to be available on Timu for the low, low price of 68 pence. <laughs> How's stuff so cheap on there? Um... I, I haven't... Like, anyone know, like, PSVR 2, did it sell? Is it... Did they make any money off of that thing? I haven't heard people say a word about it. Yeah. And that includes Sony yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. 
if they sold a million, I'd be confused. Uh, There's no way. A report in May said they had sold 600,000 within six weeks. Yeah. I, that's that's not a bad number, I guess. I mean, that's more than I, I would have thought. Yeah. Have they got to a million it, it yet? It outsold the original. Um, Did it? Yeah. Wow. It's yeah. weird. I felt like I heard more about the original than I heard about the the two. I'm not seeing... Uh, would be nice if Sony stopped making dog shit peripherals and just put some great games on their extremely expensive already console, wouldn't it? Yeah, they're not great for putting out games this year either, are they? Yeah. Nah. Well, I mean, they got Spider-Man 2 coming. That's it. Like, Has there been anything out. else that's a Sony exclusive? Final Fantasy 16, I guess, but that's not that's yeah. not the last, of us, the last of us remake was this year right yeah yeah they and, and then some dlc for um horizon horizon uh horizon zero and, and the, two, the, the yeah. psvr2 horizon oh <laughs> <Exclusive>. yeah <laughs> that that happened yeah um yeah it's, only, it's pretty quiet for sony this year isn't it yeah but Maybe hey, that's why they're, they're jacking they're, up their subscriptions they're riding high on their hubris yeah who is Hubris and why are they writing him? I'd like to know. For some reason, Eurogamer are giving me ads for knives. I don't need a knife. It's like a hand. It literally looks Sometimes. like a knife you shank somebody with, too. It doesn't look like a very practical knife. I mean, well, that's what, what you're looking for is something to shank somebody with, in which case it's incredibly practical. Exactly. That is ideal. Sometimes I go and Eurogamer and the adverts are just outrageous. Like, absolutely nothing to do with anything that you would have looked at. They're just it's random. It's a knife as called hell. Skin Port, to which the slogan, easy, smooth, secure. You want me to skin people? Is that what Eurogamer wants? <laughs> jail. Jail. Yeah. Where I'm going. There, I buy these Eurogamer ads. <laughs> I'm glad Garrett's in Cork. <laughs> Please don't skin me. Dave, end the show. Is that? I, 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 <laughs> no, I, was, I, was, I wanted to let you twist in the wind for as long as I could. There, uh, I was enjoying the silence after that so much. Just enjoying it, just reveling in it. That's going to do oh, it for God. another episode of Link to the Cast. Thank you very much for listening in. Uh, at Link to the Cast is where you need to go on Twitter to keep up with the show as it's posted. To chat to us about what we've been talking about on the show or what you think we should cover individually. I'm at the day to Dave. Mark is at Lithium Project. Jack is at Jack Lazell, and Garrett is at Garrett Kidney. Thank you very much for listening to. This this episode. We'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.